Thank you, choir, for sharing such a beautiful song. Uh, blessing to us as a congregation to have such a beautiful choir and, and uh, talented people in our church. And I'm thankful for that uh, ability and the sharing of that message today. So as we get into God's Word today, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We're finally getting to the official Christmas story as we've been working through uh, a theme this year as we're getting ready for Christmas on the women of Christmas and how particularly the story of women in the Bible and especially those who were outcast, who were barren, who were unable to do the things that the world thinks is important, like having children, especially in, in those days, it was thought that that was basically where a woman's worth was wrapped up, was in her ability to have children, and how God shows a special favor on women who are barren, and that favor is a picture or a, a metaphor for God's grace to those who are spiritually barren. And as I've already discussed in the last two sermons, we all have a spiritual barrenness that even though we might think, hey, this life, I've got this life under control, I've got things going like I want, that at the end of the day, we're all going to die and we face the judgment that is coming in that death. And so in reality, it doesn't really matter what we produce in this life or, or how many kids we have or how much money we save or the work that we do and how famous we become, all of that is barren. It is all for naught because we all face death and the judgment that comes after death as a result of that. But God's grace is shown to the barren. And so for those who recognize their sin, they recognize the hopelessness outside of Christ and the need for salvation that God is gracious to those who are outcast and dependent on Him. And so this morning, we finally get to the Christmas story, the official Christmas story, as we look at the story of Elizabeth. Again, another woman who suffered under barrenness, who suffered, as she calls it, the reproach of men. And so let's read together Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25, and then I'll pray and we'll get into our study today. Luke chapter 5, I mean Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 5, it says, "In the day of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all of the commandments and statutes of the Lord." But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth." 
for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and under, uh, unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a, ving- a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah, for the ways that you work through Uh, those who are unable by any human measure to do anything to earn approval. Lord, that you cause those who wait on you, those who are patient, to be rewarded. Father, I pray that we would see through the testimony of Elizabeth the hope that we have this Christmas season, the hope of the promise that is fulfilled and the hope of the final promise to be fulfilled in the return of Christ, that that one day will come and we should patiently wait until that day. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. From this text this morning, I want you to see three points. First of all, I want you to see a picture of patience. Second, a pause in that patience. And lastly, the promise of patience. So first, let's consider the picture of patience that we have in verses 5 through 7. In those first verses, we are told about an elderly couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. We're told a few things about them. First of all, Zechariah is a priest who works diligently in the temple. The passage points out also that both Zechariah and Elizabeth are, as it says, righteous before God. It also says that they are blameless. But even though they are blameless, even though Zechariah is a priest and that is constantly before the face of God, and even though they are both considered to be righteous and blameless, they are carrying this terrible reproach. They are barren. And to make matters worse, they're old and without any hope of having children. But even in their barrenness, even under this terrible reproach, Zechariah and Elizabeth are a picture of faithful patience. Even though their greatest hope and prayer has yet to be answered, 
It doesn't appear that this has affected their obedience to the Lord in one bit. Zechariah was faithful to his priestly duties, and there's no indication that he grumbled or he complained. He carried out his duties apparently with a whole heart. And the same could be said of Elizabeth. Even in her barrenness, she is known to be righteous and blameless. And as we've already seen in the life of Sarah and Rachel, that's, that's saying something. Because as we've discussed in both of those stories, it was common for the women, women of the Bible, when they have this reproach of barrenness, to seek out other means of fulfilling the promise of God. Whether it be Sarah's offering of Hagar or, um, or Rachel's offering of Bilhah to her husband. Both of those women, though they were women of promise, though they were women of faithfulness, though they were women of grace, they still sought other means of fulfilling God's promise. But apparently, Elizabeth has not. She is considered to be righteous and blameless before the Lord. And this couple in my mind, is a witness to us as modern Christians of what it looks like to live in faithful patience. And we need this lesson as American Christians because, to be honest, we don't do patience all that well, right? I mean, we, we don't do patience that well, whether it is that we pay an extra $9 a month or $99 a year. I don't know what it costs for Amazon Prime so that we're guaranteed that we are supposed to be guaranteed that we get our package within two days of ordering it. We value instant gratification of buying something off the shelf versus the labored handmade product that we could get if we just paid an artisan to make it. We value the high calories and low nutrition of fast food over a, a good home-cooked meal. Unfortunately, I'm afraid that we expect the same thing out of our religion, too. We come to expect that we should have our salvation right now. We should have heaven right now. I want all the promises of God to be fulfilled right now. But the reality is... And I learn this more and more the older I get. The reality is that the Christian life, all of the Christian life, is one of patient waiting. Right. What it looks like to be a Christian is to faithfully wait on the Lord. We live obedient lives, faithfully worshiping and witnessing all while we wait on the final salvation that Christ will bring when He returns. This is one of my great, greatest concerns and greatest critiques of the way that American Christians have, over the last 40 years or so, been taught to approach church. Because we approach church like we do the world. And like we do Amazon Prime or McDonald's or something else. Is I want what I want and I want it now. I want to be able to come to church and get what I want out of church. And if the preacher doesn't give that to me or the song service doesn't give that to me or the children's program doesn't give that to me, then I'm gone. And I may never go back to church again because I didn't get what I wanted to out of church. But hear me on this. Faithful Christian patience 
is one that does the same thing at the same place weekend and weekend and week out faithfully waiting on God to fulfill his promises. And it might be a little fresh in our minds, but I feel like it's important to point out faithful waiting looks like Bobby Jean Ernest. Faithful waiting looks like being right there year after year, week after week, even as I said during his, the sermon for his funeral, even when the doors weren't open, he was here. Faithful waiting looks like that endurance that waits patiently on the Lord. That's what it means to be a faithful Christian. Second, notice the pause in that patience, though, in verses 8 through 23. In the course of Zechariah's faithful waiting, it comes his turn to carry out the duties of the high priest. And that you get that idea in the, in the text that we just read that the, the sons of Aaron were divided by their tribe and they took turns carrying out the duty of the high priest. And this was a responsibility that was serious and quite honestly, it was life-threatening. Uh, the high priest had the responsibility of first confessing his own sins, then secondly offering a sacrifice for his own sins, and then thirdly going through a very strict cleansing ritual that he, in which he basically took a bath and cleansed himself before he could safely enter the Holy of Holies to represent the people of God before God. So if a priest failed in just one of those aspects of his cleansing, let's say he forgot to confess a sin or he didn't offer a pure sacrifice or he failed to follow the cleansing ritual to a T, he could die in the Holy of Holies. And this could create, quite honestly, a, a crisis of religion because the high priest was the only one who could go into the Holy of Holies to represent the people. So if he died, no one else could go in there to get him because they'd die too. So the Israelites had come up with the, uh, the, some very creative ideas. And to avoid this potential crisis, they tied bells to the hem of the priest's robe. And they tied a rope around his waist. So that if he went into the temple and the bell stopped ringing after a time, I assume, they would decide, OK, well, he's died and they had the rope tied to him so they could pull him out to resolve the issue of nobody being able to go in. So you pick up on that anxiousness in a few points in this passage. Notice it says in verse 10 that the whole multitude was outside praying as uh, Zechariah went into the temple. So in the middle of this intense, stressful ritual, I have to be honest, I, I totally identify with Zechariah because, uh, first of all, you put me in an intense situation like this and all of a sudden you turn around and there's a dude standing in the middle of the temple, I'd freak out too. But Zechariah, uh, he turns around at some point in his ritual and in verse 12 it says, that an angel is standing before or beside the altar, and it says that Zechariah is troubled. Now, trouble doesn't do justice to what 
Zechariah is actually feeling because the Greek word for troubled there means roiling water. In other words, his stomach turned over. You know that feeling when you just jump out of your skin and your stomach is up in your throat and you're scared to death? That's what it looks like. His stomach is churning in fear. But the angel tells him not to be afraid and he begins to announce this wonderful promise. The angel says that the prayers of Zechariah and Elizabeth have been answered and God will cause Elizabeth to conceive. And if that weren't a great enough promise and a great enough blessing, he also says that this son will be a great prophet and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit and he will be the one who will come in the spirit of Elijah to proclaim the promise of the Messiah or the coming of the Messiah. So Zechariah is dumbfounded by this, and he can't believe what he's heard, and he can't believe the magnitude of this miracle. And so in verse 18, he questions, basically he says, how can this be possible? Or how will I know that this has happened? So basically, Zechariah is asking for a sign. And you get the sense that this offends the angel. Because the angel Gabriel says, look, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God day in and day out. And I've come to personally deliver this good news to you. In other words, what other sign do you need? There's an angel standing next to the altar in front of you. And you're like, well, how do I know this is going to be possible? There's an angel, bro. What else do you need? And, and you get the sense that he's offended and that Zechariah's sinned in his doubt. And so he basically punishes him. He says, you're going to be speechless till you, which I'm sure was a relief to Elizabeth when he got home. But uh, he was, <laughs> you're going to be speechless until the baby is born. Now, this doubt of Zechariah serves as an encouragement to those who faithfully wait, or at least it serves as an encouragement to me. As we wait on the Lord to fulfill His promise, we can become so accustomed to the waiting that when the fulfillment actually comes, we doubt that it's the fulfillment. Or worse yet, we stop believing that fulfillment will come and begin to accustom ourselves to the life we have in our waiting. Sadly, I think this is what has happened to American Christians. We've become so comfortable in our lives as Americans, so prosperous as a society, so advanced in our knowledge of the world, that we have begun to think that maybe this is the promised land. Maybe this is heaven on earth. Worse still, we've begun to believe that our deliverance will come by some other means other than Jesus Christ. So we treat our politicians like superheroes or even messiahs we can, who can save us. Or we think that if we just save enough amount, enough amount of money for our retirement, we can avoid all the hardships that we see everybody else going through. Or we think that medicine will somehow deliver us from the ills that we might face and deliver us from whatever might ail us. And so we put all of our hopes and our dreams and our promise and our expectations into things that are less than salvation in Jesus Christ. 
We have become accustomed to waiting. And we have adopted what is our life in exile, our life in waiting on the Lord to return. We have adopted that as the final place of promise that we think we should have. But this life is not the fulfillment of God's promise. We're still waiting on that to come. Finally, consider the promise of patience from verses 24 and 25. In these last two verses, we find out that God fulfills his promise to Zechariah and Elizabeth conceives. Her reaction is one of faithfulness. She praises God for her gracious gift. Now, the beautiful thing about this is that the son of Elizabeth would be named John. It's the John that we know as John the Baptist. It's not because he was of our denomination. It was just that he baptized people. But... He would serve as the forerunner to Jesus, the Messiah. His calling would be to announce the coming of the King of Kings. And he would faithfully do that until he was beheaded by Herod for speaking the truth about Herod's sin. Now I want you to notice this. It's fascinating to me as I was studying for this sermon. That Elizabeth and Zechariah, they wait patiently on the Lord. They pray And they trust and they wait. And finally, God's promise is fulfilled to them in the birth of a prophet. And this prophet is not just any other prophet. This prophet comes in the spirit of Elijah to herald the coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He comes to announce that the wait is over. Because the nation of Israel had been waiting for some 700 years, some, especially since the last prophet was, uh, was in Israel, some 400 years since then. They have been waiting for the promise of the coming Messiah to be fulfilled. And now, Zechariah and Elizabeth, these two people who have waited their whole lives to have a son, not only are they going to have a son, but they're going to have the spirit of Elijah, the man who is the spirit of Elijah, who will come to announce that the the Messiah is finally here. John's sole purpose was to say, it's time. It's time to get ready because the Messiah is here. All that waiting is over. All that anticipation is over. God is fulfilling His promise right now in the presence of these people. And John is a foresh- or, or the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth is a foreshadowing of that patient waiting. So the good news of Christmas is just that. The Messiah has come. There's no reason to wait. Your salvation is here. In Jesus' life, He has fulfilled the promises of God by being totally obedient to God's Word. In His death, He has gave the final sacrifice for sin. There's no other sacrifice to be offered for your sin. In His resurrection, He has defeated death and hell for us. So Paul can say in 2 Corinthians chapter chapter 1, verse 20, All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. There's no more waiting for your sin to be forgiven. There's no more waiting for God's presence to be with you. There's no more waiting on the truth to be revealed. We have all, we have all that we need in Jesus.
So turn to Jesus Christ in faith today and follow him that you might have the fulfillment of the promises of God. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has secured our salvation. He has made the down payment, if you will, on the promise of salvation that we have in him. But we still patiently wait for its completion. We still wait on Christ to return, to put to death every power that would rebel against him. We still wait on our resurrection when we will be with him for all of eternity in a new heavens and a new earth, receiving new spiritual bodies that will not perish. While we wait, may we not be caught losing heart or losing patience. May we trust in the means that God has given us while we wait. May we remain obedient to his calling in our lives. And may we watch with anticipation for the completion of all things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise that we have in Christ. Lord, we know that all the promises of God are complete in him, are yes in him. And so we have nothing to uh, wait for as far as the redemption that we receive in him. We, our, our souls are restored to their right place with you. We, our sins are forgiven. Uh, we have your spirit abiding with us. We have the truth of your word. We have all that we need for this life and the life to come. But there is one aspect that we continue to wait for. And that is the return of Christ and the justice that will be brought then. The completion of all things. Father, I pray that as we patiently wait, that we would see the example of Zechariah and uh, Elizabeth and that we would follow their example in obedience and faithfulness as we wait and watch for the return of Christ. Father, I pray that you would bless us now as we respond to you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.